things don't go according to plan and that is the plan this is episode 570 on the hidden white podcast with Kristen hadid permission to screw up enjoy Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. How are you today? Thank you for tuning in, guys. This is another fantastic interview that I do every week. I bring you a fantastic long format interview with someone that I think has a lot to share. And certainly, uh, Kristen Hadid um, is of no exception. She has a great deal to share. I love her story. She shares her story at the start of this episode. She unintentionally launched Student Made, a cleaning company that she started while she was in university herself. I believe she was looking to buy a nice pair of jeans and needed a few extra dollars, so she started cleaning for people. And then she saw an opportunity there and started cleaning for more people, but couldn't do it all herself. So she helped uh, hire other students to help her out, and suddenly she created a company. It grew, 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 um, but she didn't know how to operate a company from the get-go. She had to learn the hard way. She learned through failing, and in the first few months, 75% of her workforce left the business, left her in a little bit of a lurch, but she learned uh, that people were priority and she learned a lot of techniques and tricks since then through leadership, how to be compassionate, how to be vulnerable, how to empower people and uh, enforce a leadership culture of accountability. There's so much in this episode, guys. I'm sure you'll find a great deal. Let me know what you think. Jump on to the hidden why dot com connect with myself connect with Kristen Hadid as well her links are there um and until the end of the show guys just have a great bloody time thank you hey Kristen welcome to the hidden white podcast how are you today I'm good thanks for having me it's an absolute pleasure thanks for coming on the show how's the uh how's the weather where you are well I'm in Florida and believe it or not it's in the 30s which never happens so it's actually quite chilly Quite chilly. Okay, cool. Um, I love those opening questions just to break the ice, but um, are you in the evening or late afternoon? I think it's late it is late afternoon here. Yeah. Yep. And I am, yep, I'm in Florida at my company's headquarters in a little town called Gainesville. Gainesville. Okay. And how many people on your team? So uh, I'm here working with my executive team. We have a pretty small executive team. There are five of us. And then we have our students who work in our business, and that fluctuates depending on what season we're in. But um, right now we have about 50 people on our team, and and sometimes that goes up and sometimes it goes down. Wow, that's awesome. Um, And so that that business is student-made, I've got that correct? Yes. So tell us a little bit. It's a really interesting story, actually, and it sort of um, links to your book as well. I believe that's the sort of backstory. Um, so just put it in your own words. Tell us, how did you get this, this business started? Why did you start it? Um, and I guess a little bit of a snapshot view of where it's come from and to where it is now. Well, it was never my intention to start a company or be an entrepreneur. I was studying at the University of Florida, and yeah. this was in 2007. I was a finance major, and I thought I wanted to move to New York and work on Wall Street. And Honestly, I didn't really love my classes. I just, at the time, thought that success was all about making a lot of money. And I knew that with a finance job, it was a six-figure salary. And so even though I wasn't loving my classes, that's what I decided I wanted to do with my life. And hmm. I was 19, was very broke in college. And I just so as happened to go to the mall one day. <laughs> yeah, as most people are. And I just happened to go to the mall one day because that's where you go when you're completely broke. And I fell in love with this pair of jeans. And it sounds so silly, but they were in the window and I saw them and I just, there was something about them that made me say, I have to have these. They were $99. I knew my parents would never, ever give me the money, you know? So I, I thought, well, what is something I can do to make enough money to buy these. And the first idea that I had was to put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house. And I charged exactly the price of the jeans. It was a complete nightmare. The woman who hired me, she had a huge house, 4,000 square feet. And I had never cleaned anyone's house before, you know, except for my own room. So I, I had no idea what I was doing. I told her it would take me two hours and it it ended up taking me more than seven. So, I mean, it was just disaster, Mm -hmm. but she paid me. I left, bought the jeans and I thought that was it. 
And what ended up happening is she asked if I could come back every week to help her. And then she told her friends about me. And she also taught me how to, how to clean. Thank goodness for her. So <laughs> it just slowly grew. Yeah. And, um, and it was not a company though, to me, it was just a way to make money while I was in school, but cleaning is physically exhausting and it's, it's really hard work. And the more houses and the more clients I took on, the harder it was for me to do it all alone. So I slowly hired other students to help me, but the real turning point happened right before I graduated. I got this contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments and these were college apartments. So we had about three weeks to clean hundreds and hundreds of apartments and make them brand new before the new tenants moved in for the start of the school year. And I thought it would just be a great way to make money for New York. It was three weeks. That was it. So I hired 60 people, all of them students, because I just knew how hard it was to find a a flexible job as a student. But I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had never really been in a position of leadership before. So I had no idea how to lead this team of people. I was 21. And there was this crazy day where 45 of the 60 walked into the area where I was sitting one day and they quit all together at the same time, time. 45 people. (laughs) They quit. I know just 75% of my team. And when when I tell that story, people say, oh, there has to be something else you're not telling us. But really, it's just you combine this work that is so awful and it's you know, it's not fun. It's not glamorous. And then you add on top of that, you have a leader who doesn't know what she's doing. I didn't, I didn't appear that I cared about anyone. I wasn't checking on anyone. I didn't know anyone's names. So they quit. And yeah, yeah right. And I guess I, students, I, you know, talk generally. So yeah. if person gets the thought, might talk to someone else and suddenly it's a mass exodus. Of course. Of course. So they left and here I am, 21, sheer panic sets in. I have all these apartments to clean. I only have 15 people. I ended up getting them back, and, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Hmm. But I say that, that that was the summer that really changed everything for me. It really changed the whole trajectory of my life because I was so obsessed with learning how to be a leader and with learning how to to build a company where people really wanted to be, even though cleaning was what we were doing. And it was all because they walked out on me. So after I won them back, we really became a, a family, a team, and it, it became the reason that I turned down a job in finance, and here we are. So it's been, well, that was in 2007 that I posted my first Craigslist ad, so it's been over 10 years, wow. and we've employed thousands of people. So we still we still employ mainly students, but we do have people who aren't students. We just look for whether someone's a good fit for our culture. Yeah. And we hire them if they are. And while we're a cleaning company, really what we are all about is helping our people learn and grow and become better leaders. And and we want them to leave our doors with this skill set that really sets them apart. And I'm sure we'll talk more about kind of how that evolution came to be and, and what our purpose really is all about, because I know that that's what the hidden why is all about. Yeah, kind of. Um, look, I love that. I love that story. You're like the accidental entrepreneur, I suppose, uh, falling into what you're doing now, um, full time. And I suppose there's there's a lot to that. You know how that sort of begins. Um, but I, I sort of feel there's maybe some some thought you can share around just that whole process of of backing yourself, trusting yourself, and, and diving in. Because I, I think a lot of people have these ideas. Maybe they go out there and try something to earn a little bit of money to you know buy that special pair of jeans. Um, and then maybe they have the idea that, yeah, this could be something I could do, but then don't actually get started. What sort of, you know, got you doing more other than, you know, you're sort of requested more. I think that I am a doer Mm -hmm. versus a planner. You know, I, if there's something that I want to do, I just try. And I think it's easy to get stuck in the planning process and well, what am I going to do if this doesn't work? What am I going to do if this doesn't work? And sometimes by the time you finish this plan, the opportunity is gone. And so I, I, when I started this business, I was very much a doer. And then I thought to myself, well, if it doesn't work, I'll figure it out as I go. I don't think that's a great long-term strategy, especially as your company is growing. But at the, at the beginning, I think that's the strategy that, that really works. Good point. Yeah. I also Yeah. I also think that you have to be willing to fail. And 
I talked about the 45 people walking out and I was very lucky that what I learned from that experience. So I, I got them back and, and the way that I got them back was by, I, I went and found the 15 people who, who didn't quit and I asked for their help and they, someone had this idea, why don't we invite all of them to your house tonight for this emergency meeting and we'll promise everyone an early paycheck if they show up. So of course everyone shows up. We're all broke college kids, you know, everyone needs a paycheck. So they all show up. And I wasn't really sure what to say to them because I didn't even know what I had done wrong. So I was just honest and I admitted my weakness. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never, I've never led a business before. I've never led a team before. Obviously I did something wrong. If 45 of you walked out, I need you. I can't do this without you. What I, what I did was I admitted my failure. I admitted my weakness. I owned up to it. And for that reason, they really wanted to help me and they saw me as a human being and I think sometimes when we go and start something, we we feel like we have to know all the answers and we have to have it all together and we can't have any hiccups. And really, you learn by doing and you learn by falling down. And the most important thing is recognizing that and saying it out loud. And when you do, people want to help you. Yeah, absolutely. I guess by um, you know leading with that mindset of accountability, you know, holding yourself accountable, and and then actually showing that to others, that will create a culture of accountability. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you can, especially in a position of leadership, when you can say to your people, Hey, I messed up or I need help. It, it inspires them to ask for help. It inspires them to admit when they've messed up. And if we don't have that kind of environment, that's when people aren't coming forward with where they're struggling because they're afraid that it makes them look incompetent, you know, and and you're creating a culture of fear versus a culture of really honesty and, and, and one that helps one another. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, um, so you got a lot of those people back on board after that, that conversation. So they all came back. It was just kind of a domino effect. One person said, I'll come back. And then another one said, I'll come back. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, they're all coming back. And what I, what I did after that is I, I really, I realized, wow, this business doesn't work without people. You know, I have to help the people. So what do I have to do to keep these people? And the thing is, I cared about them. I just didn't know how to show it. So, so what I did is I learned their names. I learned about what they were studying. I brought them water bottles. I helped them clean. And, you know, I just, I've learned that leadership is, is being there with your people and letting them know that you see them and that you value them. And if you can give people that, it, it doesn't matter whether they're cleaning or whether they're building a rocket ship, you know, it's, it's, they want to feel like they matter. And if they feel like they matter, they're likely to stay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's just backtrack a little bit to doer and planner. Um, I consider myself a little bit of a doer and I know that I go out there um, very quickly and often make mistakes myself. Um, obviously that, that helps you get started. How have you learned to pull it back so you can, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's, if that makes sense. I am an ideas person. I have so many ideas, so many things that I, I want our company to do and goals that I have. And I think you know, I'm an optimist. And I'm, yeah. I've learned that I have to surround myself with people who are realistic, okay. who can talk me down from some of these ideas. Not because they aren't good ideas, but because it's just not practical or maybe the timing isn't right. Slow yourself down a bit. So, hmm. Yeah. So I've just learned that, you know, you have, everyone has strengths, but then sometimes those strengths can, can also present challenge. And so you have to have a team, people around you, whether it is your team that you work with or your friends or your family who have strengths that are opposite of yours, who you can bounce ideas off of. And, you know, I think on my team now we're very balanced. We have a mix of people who are those doers and the, and the thinkers, but then we have the people who are like, well, this is a great idea, but it's just not realistic. And this isn't the right time for that. And it works when you have both. Okay. So again, it comes down to, you know, uh, the people around you and, um, you know, I guess a big part of leadership is, is having those right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's about changing who you are, because no. you know, those are your natural gifts. So it's how can you have, how can you continue to do what you're good at, and just find someone who can help balance you out, and then you'll balance them out as well. Okay, starting out, let's say, because um, I'm not much of a planner as well, and sometimes I just go like, why would I plan this? Let's just go out there and do it and see what happens. How did you need to bring that in, or did you just keep, you know, charging forward and, and making those mistakes and learning as you went? I think something I learned through failing is that sometimes you just, you have to plan, you know, sometimes I would go and do, 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 and I wouldn't put too much thought into it 
or I wouldn't put thought into the end goal. And then here we are with all this work and maybe we can't actually move forward with this thing. Or maybe we realize after a couple of weeks or months that, you know, this isn't practical we we have to, we have to put this on the back burner. And so what happens is, especially in a company, it becomes like a flavor of the month thing. You know, people are there and you're throwing all these things at them. We're implementing this and we're implementing that and we're implementing that. And so everything loses its, its traction because it, there's so many things that are being thrown at people. So I've had a, I've learned that it's better to move slower, really think about what you're doing, have an intention behind it, know the purpose behind it and understand the bigger picture and implement it really well so that it sticks. Because if you put all your energy into something and you're, you know, it's wonderful, but it doesn't stick with people, then what what good is it? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So just, yeah, slowing yourself down a little bit. Um, Was -hmm. there anything that you did in your personal life, like any habits, rituals that helped you sort of focus a little bit more on, on that? Yeah, something I've always done and I do religiously now is I make a plan for every day. So the, the night before, yeah. I think about what what are my big goals tomorrow? You know, what are the big things I need to get done? And and I have to make sure that those things get done before anything else gets done because if I get those things done, it means that the bus is moving forward. And I find that if you go into your day without a plan, especially for someone who isn't a planner, if you go in, into your day without a plan, it's just very hard. Sometimes you look at the end of the day and you realize, wow, I, I did a lot of th- I did a lot, but I didn't really accomplish anything. So I try to ask myself every night, what can I do t- tomorrow to really, really move things forward and get closer to where I want to be? And I do those things first. And as long as I do those things, it's a, it's a successful day. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Um, any any techniques around for writing your plan and, and thinking about it? Like, do you have you know a set amount of goals that you focus on? Or oh, I have tried it all. You know, I even yeah. went to the <laughs> extreme of getting a a custom planner designed and printed. And oh, yeah. what I found is that sim- simple is best. You yeah. know, hmm. too many goals you can't remember them. Too many goals, it's impossible to do them all at once. Have a few goals. Be very clear about what they are. Don't worry about making them. You set the smart goals, the specific and measurable and all the things we hear about goal setting. They just have to really resonate with you. They have to be things that make you want to get out of bed in the morning. And then I keep it really simple now with, I don't have a planner. I just have, you know, a little notebook. What are the three things that I need to accomplish tomorrow? And I find that that just keeps me focused. Also, I've been better recently about my personal goals. For a long time, everything was about my business and my personal goals just fell to the wayside because I felt guilty working on those things, you know, and I think it's, that's true for anyone, whether you're a working parent and, you know, you feel like maybe you're, you're giving all yourself to work and not to your family or, or whether you're juggling a career, it's just, it's really hard to do both. So I, uh, I really thought about, actually, I, I was visiting my grandma who's in hospice over the holidays and I just, here I am with, with someone, she's at the end of her life, you know, and what my grandma did in her life is she, she didn't have a hugely successful career. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a really nice house, but she was such a good person and she loved people and she was present and Mm. she made you feel like you were the most important person in the room. And, And here at the end of her life, she had all of these people in her room with her holding her hand and kissing her head and, you know, and, and she's still, she's still here and it's still the same way. And so I thought, man, that's, that's what everyone wants at the end of their life. They want to be loved. They want to be surrounded by love. So I stopped and I asked myself, what do I have to do to have that outcome? You know, how, how, what do I need to do now so that in the end of my life, I feel like I love myself. I feel like I gave love to the people around me and it totally changed my perspective on my goals. So I, I wrote some personal intentions and they're around things like being present. And for me, I, I want to read one book a month at least because I've stopped investing in my own learning and growth. Yeah. And I've resented myself for that, you know? So I think it's just, you can't forget about your personal goals and where at the end of your life, how do you want to feel and, and do take the actions now so that you feel that way? Yeah, really important. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on it. Um, when you come down to, you know, selecting those three goals for the next day, how do you prioritize? Because as, as an ideas person, you've probably got many things that you want to achieve and accomplish and do. But how do you then just go, well, look, these are the three things that are most important and these is how I'm going to prioritize them. Like, what's your process there? 
to be honest, I struggle with prioritizing. To me, everything's important, and it's hard to, to figure out which is more important. Sometimes I will ask someone on my team, if I need to do these three things, what's the order that I should do it? But what I find is that I, I start with the thing that I'm most excited about, and then maybe the other two things I'm dreading, so I don't do them, okay. and I just push them off till tomorrow. So what I've tried to do is start with the things that I don't want to do and get those out of the way. And it's actually based off of a book called Eat That Frog. Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. about tackling the thing, the biggest things and the most overwhelming things and getting them off your list because you actually feel really great after doing that. So do I do that every day? No. I yeah. definitely have the days where I start with the thing I'm excited about and the rest doesn't get done. But I try, I'm try. i trying to be better about working on the things I don't want to do first, getting them out of the way, because usually those are the most important things. Do you look at things um, as far as what is the payoff? Like, do you assess, like, by doing this, um, what is the ultimate goal? Do you actually go to the deeper? Because sometimes I feel that we have a goal list, but we don't even really know what the ideal outcome is, and then we go and do it, and we're just like, well, what was the point? And I used to have so many things I used to do uh, throughout my week as a real estate agent, and I suddenly realized that a lot of it wasn't really necessary. It wasn't bringing in many of the results, and it was actually – just causing additional unnecessary clutter, stress, et cetera, in my life. Is there any process around mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I base my goals off of what is going to have the biggest payoff. Right. But the thing is that sometimes the payoff for me may not be a financial payoff. So I also look at it mm-hmm. in the sense of my relationships. So, yeah. for example, if I know that someone on my team is struggling and they're having a rough time and my conversation with them may make a huge difference. I'm making that a priority. Just like I may, you know, when I was writing my book, like writing was a huge priority because if I didn't finish the book, I lose my contract. And, you know, so I, I think it's always this juggling game. Yeah. And you have to look at everything that's going on in, in your life and in your relationships and ask, you know, what what can I do today that is going to make the biggest difference in in my life right now. Um, and sometimes you may have to go off course of your goals because something else happens in your life that actually is more important. And I found that when you have those things happening, you're distracted by them anyways. So maybe you have a goal, but something's happened in your personal life that's really weighing on you. Well, you should deal with that because when you deal with that, then it's not on your mind and you can go back to focusing on your goals. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. I like it. And I'm glad we, we touched on that as well. Um, look, I want to talk to you about your book. So the book is called Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Everything Wrong. So tell us, making mistakes. I mean, it's it's a little bit trendy actually at the moment, you know. Um, everyone's telling you to <laughs> just go out there and fail. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I got this book contract kind of in a backwards way. Usually when you write a book, you have to write a proposal and outline exactly what your book is about. And so for me, it happened very uh, unexpectedly. I was giving a talk and my publisher was in the audience and he said, I really want you to write a book. So it was a dream come true, but at the same time, it was very challenging because I didn't know exactly what I was writing about. So I had several iterations and I began by writing a book about millennials And because that's a topic I speak on often, but then I realized, you know what, everything I'm writing about actually applies to all human beings and it's not confined to just one generation. So I threw that away. And then I wrote a book about uh, my, my company and all this amazing success that we've had and our amazing culture and our amazing this, our amazing that. And and I, you know, I read it and it, it was just so empty. It talked about all the great things we'd done, but that was it. And I realized that what I was missing was what it took to get there. And yeah, maybe I learned all these lessons, but how did I actually learn them? So in the middle of my writing process, I went to dinner with a good friend of mine and he's written several bestsellers. And I just said, how, I asked him, how do you know if you're writing the right book? And he said, well, in my experience, it's when the book is really hard to write that you are writing the right book. So I thought about that. The book wasn't that hard to write. And I, and that's when it clicked, you know, I had to write about the side of leadership and the side of business that is uncomfortable to talk about all the failures and all the, all the screw ups that it took to teach you the lessons that you've learned. And I really wish that I would have found a book like this when I started. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't wonderful books out there. I, I got my mentors in books. Like I would read every week and 
I became the leader I am and I built the business I did because of how much I read and how much I learned from so many amazing people. Really good point. I just felt alone. I just, yeah. I felt alone because I felt like I was failing and I, and all these books I was reading really talk about that thinking what's wrong with me sorry we just and now what i realize is that everyone fails but we don't talk about it because sorry can you hear me okay can you hear me yeah yes like i was just a moment can you hear me sorry no you're fine um so i you know what i realized is that the reason people don't talk about failure and screw screwing up is because it's really hard it's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. Once you put it in a book and you put it out in the world, you can't take it back. Mm. And I had to admit things like, okay, I learned how to make people feel valued by making them feel terrible. I learned how to empower people by being a control freak and being a micromanager. You know, I don't like to admit those things. I mean, in one chapter, I talk about doing keg stands in front of my employees, thinking that that is building a relationship, you know, doing what? how embarrassing keg stands where you drink beer upside down. All right. Um, you know, it's like, that's embarrassing. I don't want anyone to know that, but they, ha- but I have to share that because that's leadership is you try things, you do things that are stupid, but at the time they seem like a great idea. And then you, then you realize, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. This is actually how it's supposed to be. So yeah, I wrote the book <laughs> okay. that I wish I would have found. Um, and my goal with the book is that when people are done reading it, they're more inspired to talk about their own failures and say, admit their screw ups out loud so that we can make it less uncomfortable because no one is perfect. And anyone who pretends like they're perfect simply can't be trusted because we know that you're not. So you also become a lot more human in leadership when you can look at people and say, Hey, I really messed up. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose, um, I mean, the book sounds like an excellent read. I, I definitely can't wait. I haven't read it yet. I'll be honest. Um, and there's, there's going to be a lot of lessons that you can share in there that others can then, you know, use in their own, um, paths to whatever business they're setting up, I suppose, but just around vulnerability, um, you know, not only in writing the book, but being a leader, how do you find being vulnerable so important to the process of actually being a leader? I think leaders have been programmed to make people feel safe and secure and to be strong because we think that, well, people only will want to follow if we're strong and make them feel safe. So that's why we pretend like everything's great. We don't need help. We've got all the answers. And I think when you can say to people, actually, I have no idea how to move forward, or I really need everyone's opinion. It's vulnerable because you're admitting that you don't have all the answers. You're admitting a weakness and you're also inviting people to help you. And you're inviting them to be a part of something, which is what people want. Hmm. I also learned about vulnerability in terms of relationships. I think that there's this, you know, this, this, uh, mentality that you can't bring your whole self to work. Work is work and personal is personal and maybe they can mix a little bit or, but maybe not at all. They definitely can't mix a lot. And what I've realized is that people cannot drop off stuff at the front door come in, do their job, and then go pick their life back up when they leave. It, it comes with them. So anything that's happening in their personal life is is weighing on them. And you have to create space for people to talk about those things. And when you do, they'll actually be more productive. You know. So I, I learned that the only way to have that kind of environment is for you to admit yourself what's going on in your life. Right. So we do something on my team that I love. We call It's called personal check-ins. It's how we start every meeting. And we each go around and for two minutes, we just talk about what's going on in our life personally. Sometimes it's happy things. Sometimes it's sad things. Sometimes something's weighing on us, but it's just, it's the space, just get it off your chest. And sometimes all it takes is getting it off your chest to be present and and be refocused. But it also lets the team know, maybe this person needs our support. Maybe we need to take some work off their plate so that we can take care of that person and make sure all the work gets done. Mm. Interesting um, method, I suppose. Like, as far as I, I think, everyone's got stuff going on in their personal lives that perhaps they're not comfortable talking about. It. So, number one, how do you get people to talk about it and open up? And number two, then how how is that then dealt with once people share, or is it just about sharing and then that's it? Yeah. So i I think it's important that people only share what they want to share. You know. Yeah. 
if it's your turn for a personal check-in and you don't want to share anything, that's okay. We respect that. I think when you, I think also people aren't used to that at work. So when you really create that kind of environment and they're surrounded by people who are doing that after some time and after some trust is built, they're inspired to share those things. Um, and then we always say it's your job to, to tell the team how you need us. So do you just want to vent? Do you need our help? Do you need us to shift and reallocate some work so that you can take care of this personal thing and we can still make sure the company and the organization is okay? You know, so it's, it's putting it on that person to come to the team with, hey, this is what's going on in my life and I just wanted to share it with everyone so that you know maybe I'm in a bad mood today but it has nothing to do with you. Hmm. Or maybe it's that you need our help. It's your job to tell us. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Um, and so how long have you been running that for? Well, so the, um, the business, uh, is, let's see, 11 years. And I would say we've been doing, personal. we've been doing the personal check-ins and really focusing on the relationship piece for the last four or five. Okay. I was thinking about this recently in another chat I had and in, I'm in a new company at the moment. Um, and it's really about creating that environment of, of having that psychological safety, I suppose. And that, oh, yeah. that comfort about being, um, you know, being yourself and being vulnerable. And I was relating it to we're so comfortable with our families, you know, we can do whatever we want, we can screw up, we can make mistakes, we can do stupid stuff and and be quite comfortable with that. Whereas in the work environment, it's totally different. But I was just wondering, and how can we bring more of that into our work environment? How can we make the work environment more like a family? Um, and so things mm-hmm. like that, like a personal check-in must be absolutely um, essential. Yeah, and I should, well, I should quickly touch on, I said earlier, we, we became so much more than a cleaning company. Mm. What I realized is, you know, I really wanted to teach people the skills here that would help them be really successful in life. And so when our students come in and they are training on cleaning and, and learning how to dust and vacuum, they also take workshops and attend trainings on things like how to listen empathetically to someone, how to be vulnerable and what is vulnerability and how can we use it to build trust and how to build relationships that are that are based on trust and that really are meaningful and, and actually putting your phone down and communicating with people. We teach how to confront someone about a difficult topic, how to recognize someone in a meaningful way, how, how to identify your strengths and how to identify how to use them and contribute with those. And so it's all this curriculum that really has nothing to do with their jobs. And the whole idea is that they'll use that skill set wherever they go. So from the very beginning, everyone in our company learns about relationship building and vulnerability. And I think that also plays a huge part. So the message I think is that if we want to create a family environment, if we want to create an environment where people are comfortable, let's say giving feedback or confronting difficult topics, then we have to take it a step back and we have to ask ourselves how we taught people how to do that because people just, they don't magically know how to give feedback in a productive way or how to build a relationship if we want that to be a cornerstone of our environment, we have to teach everyone how to do that. Mm. Yeah, I really like it. And, and I think the whole idea of bringing that, those growth initiatives into the workplace that aren't just around you know, learning new skills about the specific job, but learning life skills, um, that's, that's absolutely empowering. Like People love that because they know that this is not only just about the work, it's about them and it's about how they can use this in their everyday life. Absolutely. Look, there's a lot um, probably in the book that you can share. I just want to go into a little bit on leadership, um, particularly, you know, creating uh, workplaces that are accountable and engaged. And, you know, I think I read it somewhere in, in your bio, perhaps, about, you know, how you changed your leadership style so that your employees became more happy, loyal, productive and empowered. Um, so just, I know there's probably a lot that you could go into there, but what are a few of the things um, that stick out to you that you learnt along the way, like maybe the three top leadership um, skills that you learnt to that really helped your team thrive? I think the first is about empowering people. Mm-hmm. And what that means is you have to step back and you have to let people step up. And you have to ask questions instead of giving answers. You know, So it's when someone comes to you with an idea or a challenge, you know, it's give me two potential solutions versus telling them how they should solve it and encouraging them to do the thinking on their own. Because 
when we empower people by letting them solve the problem, even if they might fail, you know, if they fail, the worst thing in the world is that they learn something. But when we empower them to solve a challenge on their own, and then they do, they feel proud, they, they become more confident, they learn to rely on their own thinking, their own abilities, and they, they attribute that personal growth to their job, which makes them more engaged um, you know, and, and wanting to show up the next day. So empowerment is huge and stepping back, even if it means they may not do it like you would, even if it means they might mess up. Yeah. The second, so huge. I think has, yeah, for, yeah. The second has to do with feedback. Actually the second and the third, I think there are two sides of feedback. It's the critical part, the accountability part, uh, which is the, you know, you messed up and I need you to be better. And then there's the other part, which is you did something wonderful and I want you to know how much it meant and I want you to do it again. It took me a long time to learn how to do both, but especially when we're creating a place where people are really empowered and they have a lot of autonomy and we're giving them the freedom to make decisions, we have to give them feedback to keep them on track. So when someone messes up, it doesn't mean that we just brush it off. We have to sit down. We have to talk about it. We have to ask them, how would you do it differently if, if this happened again? And I, I talk about this in the book, but a method that I, I teach that I learned from a company, I love Barry Waymeller, an amazing engineering company. It's called the F, FBI. And it's a way that you give feedback that's really productive and it inspires someone to change their behavior. So the F stands for feeling the B stands for behavior and the I stands for impact. And the idea is you want to communicate all three things in a sentence. So how did you feel about this person's specific behavior? What was that specific behavior? And then what was the impact of that behavior? So for example, you could say, I felt disappointed when you were 30 minutes late to the meeting this morning. And the impact of that is that now I'm unsure if I can rely on you. And that person probably didn't wake up saying, I can't wait to be late. I can't wait to make you feel like you can't rely on me. So bringing that up causes a conversation and probably that person will say, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't know that I had that impact and I just won't do it again. But if we don't address it, we're giving people permission. Mm. So we have to hold people accountable. The FBI is a great way to do that. And then recognition is also huge. And I found that it can't be the generic praise, like, thank you, you're great, you're awesome. We have to really think about what did this person do and and how do we make them feel like it really mattered? And the FBI works for that too. So you could say, I felt proud when you really spoke up and shared your opinion today. And the impact of that was when you shared your thoughts, everyone else felt more comfortable sharing theirs. And we had a really productive meeting. And now you're inspiring that person to do it again. So I think you have to be very good at both. If you're, if you're really good at recognition only, then, you know, you're missing the accountability piece. And if you're only holding people accountable and, and giving them the critical feedback, then you're missing the recognition piece, which really makes them feel valued. So it's a balance. It's a balance. And really important too. And um, look, just on the recognition um, versus accountability a lot of recognition is giving in, in a public forum as well. So if you've got your team there all in front of you, you give out recognition to a couple of the individual people that are, you know, doing quite well in whatever aspect. Um, and then as far as, you know, when someone does something wrong, obviously that's not obviously done in a, in a public forum. And I usually see right. it in the workplace whereby when someone does something wrong, they're pulled into the office and told that they're doing something wrong. When someone does something right, it's done in a, in a group setting, um, more so than the balance, I guess. What is your thoughts on, on that? And how should that be best tackled? Yeah, we are really big on public recognition. We have a wall in our office. It's called our FBI recognition wall, where our team members can give one another FBI recognition statements. Everyone in our company is trained on how to give an FBI. And so we have that publicly displayed. And then, yes, we start leadership team meetings, student meetings with what we call high fives, which are everyone has a chance to recognize someone in the room for something amazing that they did, FBI format. And then when it comes to the critical feedback, definitely those are not public conversations. However, we've taught every person in our company, like I said about the FBI. So when someone comes to me, for example, and says, I have a problem with the person I worked with today. I'm not going to step in and solve it for them. I'm going to say, okay, what do you need to do? And they are going to say, I need to give them an FBI. And so maybe I help them craft the FBI, but then they, it's up to them to actually schedule a time to talk to their 
cleaning partner or their, you know, whoever they work with that day to give them the FBI and, and solve the, the issue. So we really empower people to solve their own conflicts. We're here to help. We're here to guide and, and coach and support, mm. but we definitely don't step, step in and handle it for them. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, can, sorry, can you just give me one moment, Kirsten? Sure. My daughter's just walked in. <laughs> no, you're fine. Give me one second. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. She sounds adorable. <laughs> I don't know when they're going to wake up. Uh, yeah. Uh, she is adorable. Hey, um, <laughs> so look, uh, lots of interesting um, stuff in there. I definitely want to just recommend that people get your book because there's going to be a lot more in there. I feel that we could probably talk uh, all day, Kirsten, but I know you're yeah, busy yeah. and you've got <laughs> stuff going on in the office at the moment, new yeah. training program or something, I think you said. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, look, I just want to run into these final questions. So they're quick round questions. So just um, keep it simple and whatever comes to mind, uh, and we'll see how we go with these, and then we'll wrap it up. How does that sound? Sure. So the first question is, do you have any routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success? I already talked about the three things that I want to accomplish the next day, but also I turn it off. When I come home from the office, I just decide that's it. I'm not, I'm not looking at anything again until tomorrow. Cool. So planning and switching off. I like that. It's important. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? To not be so hard on myself that, you know, failing is a part of the process and, Little do you know that these moments that you hate now, you're going to look back one day and realize they defined who you are. Just a question on that, not being so hard on yourself. I mean, how have you sort of, because I, I feel the same um, and it's still a struggle. Um, we're our own worst critics sometimes. How do you not be so hard on yourself? Well, I definitely let myself feel. So when there is something that happens that I feel like I could have done better, I let myself be angry or frustrated for a little bit. But then I remind myself, I'm human, you know? I can't be perfect all the time. I can't do everything right all the time. Sometimes I'm going to work really hard on something and fail at it. And I always know that after that comes some learning moment, and then eventually I do it better than I thought I could. And I look back and I say, wow, I'm so glad that happened. It, it happens every single time. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Maybe time has to pass, but I look back and I'm thankful the failure happened, so I just remind myself of that. Yeah, cool. I think sometimes the challenge is, is when you go into something and you're putting in your best effort, you're putting in your best effort day in, day out, and you're getting to the end of the day without that sort of outcome, the result, whether it's financial or other, Mm -hmm. there's no growth or achievement um, or sense of accomplishment. Like, do you experience that? And is that just the same process? Like, just go easy, you're not perfect, things take time, what can I do to to improve this? Oh, yeah. I mean, there... There have been so many days, you know, there were, there was a period of time in my company where financially it was like, no matter what I did, we just weren't moving. And it's so frustrating to feel like you're giving something your all and your, your blood, sweat and tears. And then you look back and it's like, I'm nowhere further than I was yesterday. Mm. And what I've realized is that if you keep on it, if, if you are persistent, if you're determined, it will happen. It's, it's not an if it's just when, you know, and so I think uh, also when your heart's in the right place and you're really doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So I think a lot of people give up and I, you know, especially my cleaning business, I mean, a cleaning business, gosh, it's 75% turnover rate, 15% profit margins. No one wants to clean and look at student made, but that didn't happen overnight. That happened with a lot of years of persistence, resilience, determined to do it again the next day, even though we didn't get anywhere further today and we still feel like that sometimes but it really is a long-term game if, if it's something you really want to accomplish it takes a long time sometimes mm. yeah i like it uh, so certainly uh, persistence um being the, the key word there i think how do you define success i think success changes i've learned that you have to redefine your definition of it Um, for a long time, it was, I want to write a book when I've written a book, I've made it, you know, and then I wrote a book and then I felt kind of sad because, okay, now, now what am I going to do? So 
you have these goals that you set for yourself and then you reach them and there's nowhere else to go because you've done it. So then you have to think, well, now what else? You know, and, and so my latest success goal is that I want my, I want student made to be completely student led. So we are opening up all these leadership positions and we want our students to be the ones who are actually running our company so that they learn so much about business. It's a really hard, it's really hard to wrap my head around. What will that look like? How do we do that? And then when we do it, because we, we will, then I'll have to find another, another definition of success. I love it. Love what you're doing. What is one tool, skill, resource, or technique that has helped you improve your overall effectiveness or productivity? Reading. I, it was something I did so much in the beginning, and I'm back into it now. I try to do Audible because it's easier. Yep. One book a week Absolutely. if I can. Yep. Huge. Yep. Cool. What advice would you give someone looking to make some change in their life? What's the first bit of advice you'd give? I think be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a job that you want to change, I would ask, maybe I would ask, is it because you aren't fulfilled? Is it because you don't feel like your job matches your strengths? If so, have you talked to anyone about that in your company? You know, I think about the people in my business that maybe I put them in the wrong role and that was my fault, but there was another role that they were really well suited for. And in some cases they didn't talk to me about it. They didn't tell me how they were feeling. They just left. And I thought, Oh, how sad we could have figured this out. But then there were people who had the courage to come talk to me and tell me how they were feeling. And we were able to make a change that kept them in the company, but completely energized them and made them fulfilled. So I would say that when you want to make a change, is it really that you need to change your, your organization, your company, your job? Could you make a change within your company? Hmm. Um, also, I think you learn a lot when you're doing things that you don't like doing. I think it's more important to learn what you don't like because it narrows, it narrows it down to what you do like. So I would, I would encourage you to stay in positions that cause you to learn and especially to learn what it is that you don't like because with every position you have like that, you'll learn more about what is the role that I'm really well suited for. Because I I see a lot of people that just change job to job to job and they don't, they don't seem to ever figure it out. They don't seem to ever figure out what is that thing that I'm really excited about. Hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. What, if someone was to give you your last meal, what would you request? Sushi and barbecue. Ooh. (laughs) What activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? Well, I love hanging with my family, very, very close with my family. Um, but I also love watching movies. That's my thing. Yeah. I always joke that if I could have any other job, I would be a movie critic. If you could pick a book, one book to pass down to, um, your students perhaps, or, uh, your future children, what would it be? Oh, that is so hard. I really love Man's Search for Meaning by by Viktor Frankl. Have you read that book? Yeah, yeah. I've got to read it again, actually, because it was a while ago. But, it's one of uh, my favorite books. Okay, yeah. so I'll stick that in the show notes. I'll also stick a copy of it in the show notes <laughs> too, uh, Kristen. So if anyone wants to pick up a copy of those, awesome. please support the show by using the links at thehiddenwide.com. That would be great. What quote, phrase, or message would you text or tweet to everyone in the world? Things... Don't go according to plan, and that is the plan. Okay, is that one of your own, or? I don't know, honestly. I've always said it, but I don't know if I if I discovered that quote or if I read it somewhere. I'm not sure. Do you believe we all have a hidden why, a purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it takes a lot of time to figure out what that is. Yeah. Okay, so it is a process of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. What does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? Well, I guess it kind of connects to the last question you asked. You know, your your purpose to me is your contribution. Yeah. It's the impact that you make on the world, on the people in your life, in small ways and big ways. So how do you find it? Well, think about your life and think about the moments where you were most fulfilled and what mem- you know? What memories really stand out to you, and what moments when you think about them give you chills? And 
write those down. And then going forward, when you have a really good day, write down what happened and then see if there's some kind of connection between all of those. And that that's usually your purpose. So for me, mine is that I, I empower people to try so that they transcend their limits. And I realize that every great memory I have, especially in my, in my work is of, of a student who didn't think they could do something and they ended up accomplishing it. Yeah. So it just takes a while to, to figure out it. But then once you do figure it out, you just say it over and over and over, you write it down and you look for every opportunity to give that to the world. So I find that in my personal relationships, you know, I'm also really the person who, who tries to empower the people I love to do the things that maybe they don't think that they can do. And that's how I contribute to, to my, my world and, and the people in my life. That's awesome. And what do you believe is the underlying motivation behind everything you do? That's it. It's that I, I really, I want, I want to make the world a better place by helping people realize that they're capable and by giving them the tools, if I have them, that will help them accomplish the thing that it is that they want to accomplish. So everything for me is about helping people realize their potential. Yes, yeah, it's huge. It's, it's about giving Giving or serving or, or yeah, giving to others. Yeah, I like it. Absolutely. Look, it's been a fantastic conversation, guys. Just want to encourage you to check out um, her book. So I'll stick that link in the show notes as well. Kristen, um, how can people best reach out to you and find out more about you? Well, I have a website, kristenhadid.com, and you can send me a message there. My company's website is studentmade.com. And then I'm on all social media stuff with my name, Kristen Hadid. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Kristen. It's absolutely a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. I enjoyed this. Hope you've enjoyed it. Guys, check it all out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon